0: Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Luke chapter 4 and verse 25, I'm ready for the New Living Translation this evening. Certainly there were many, can someone say many? many. Someone say Many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow from Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many, someone say many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one, someone say one. One. Someone say one. One. Healed was Naaman a Syrian. There were many needy widows in Elisha's time, yet Elisha was not sent to any of them. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, But the only one healed was Naaman the Syrian. There were many, not any. There were many, only one. When I started out in ministry, I started with an organization called Open Air Campaigners. I was essentially, I guess, an evangelist. I went around and taught people how to share their faith. We'd do these crazy things on the streets. I remember going into flea markets, and my friend Kerry would stand on one side of a group of people. I'd stand on the other side. I'd say to Kerry, hey, Kerry, what are you doing tomorrow? He'd say, I'm going to church tomorrow. And I'd say, why are you going to church? And he'd proceed to tell me why or vice versa. And we'd do all these crazy kind of evangelism things. In order to start this this life at Open Air Campaigners, you had to do a nine-week school of evangelism. It's literally called the School of Evangelism. It was housed in Christchurch. I flew down there. Never forget, I resigned my job at the insurance company. I woke up on the day that I was to fly to Christchurch, and I was so nervous about what I had committed my life to doing that I vomited the entire day. I vomited at home. I vomited at Auckland Airport. I vomited in a sick bag on the way to Christchurch. We had to drive from Christchurch over to Littleton Harbour across this incredibly windy road through the Dyers Pass. They put me in the boot of the van with a bucket and I vomited my entire way there. For the next nine weeks, yeah, it's a bad story. For the next nine weeks, I learned about evangelism. It was filled with great highs. So many awesome moments. We're about maybe five or six weeks in to the school of evangelism. And one day, I don't know why, but we're we're staying in a two-story house and it had a banister, it had a big deck and then it had a, a like a banister or a balustrade, and it was made of wood. And then it had a big porch that came over it, and you could put your feet on the balustrade and put your hands on the Scotia boards of the roof, and just kind of stand there, you know, between the earth and the sky. I guess, and you know, being nineteen years old and adventurous, I found myself standing on top of this balustrade with my hands in the roof. My friend Kerry, who's kind of like an edgy, humorous kind of guy, he gets home with a whole bunch of people. I'm standing there. I'm like, Kerry, how are you doing? How was your day? And, and I, guess, I guess when you see a young guy standing on top of a balustrade wearing tracksuit pants, you're thinking to yourself, there is a destiny for those tracksuit pants. What Kerry didn't know that day was that I wasn't wearing briefs I was wearing long boxer shorts that came halfway down my thighs. Kerry seeing his best friend or his friend standing on top of this balustrade you know kind of just gets instant you know how boys we kind of do stuff and then we're like good idea or later maybe bad idea do you know what I'm saying? I am standing facing many people that are in front of me, a whole, whole group, the entire school of evangelism. And suddenly, all these sacred people who are following Jesus 120% were, 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 I don't know, blessed, cursed. I'm not sure how a pastor is supposed to pitch this story, but basically, Kerry grabbed my tracksuit pants Grabbed a little bit too much. Grabbed not just one layer, but two. And in front of all my peers, he... He, he, he. he helped gravity. Took those tracksuit pants to my ankles. And for maybe, maybe not the first time in my life, I felt like One. Amongst a whole lot of many. <laughs> I, I'll never forget one time I was I went to church, i just kind of, you know, this before the story, but I, I'd give my life to Jesus. I'd Decided that Jesus was central to all of life. I was praying, I was reading my Bible. I was hungry for God. I really felt like God wanted to do something great in my generation. I knew that I was supposed to be part of it. My life was just alive with the reality of God. Never, ever discount that in a person's life. If you see fuel for God, if you see someone who's just radical for Jesus, champion them. Our world is full of cynics and critics and Spectators and bystanders, and I want to be in the company of the people who want to do something with their lives. Can you, can you give that, those people a little bit of encouragement tonight? And we came out of church, and I got saved because a friend of mine, his name was Bevan, a guy, but he said to me, It's nice to clarify that, but Bevan used to take me, you know, surfing at the end of every church service. And, you know, everybody, we lived in West Auckland. I li- my church was in West Auckland. Everybody went to Piha at the end of church. And I come out of church, and I'm going to get into a car. I'm going to go to Piha I'm going to go surfing. And as I, by the way, for me, surfing was more like drowning. And uh, <laughs> for anybody else out there who needs that kind of sympathy. And I came out of church, and as I walked out of church, God spoke to me. He spoke to me through discomfort in my spirit. It wasn't an audible voice, but I just felt this knowing in my heart John, you're not supposed to get in that car. I'm like, why would God not want me to do the very thing that made me come to church the second time? I mean, the first time I came to church, Bevan said, come back next week and I'll take you surfing. I did that five weeks and then I found Jesus. Why would God not want me to do I'm confused. I'm stepping towards the car. I'm backing away from it. But again, I feel like this this quiet is in my heart. Don't get in that car. Don't go to the beach. I don't want you to go to the beach. I feel the stirring in my heart. I made a decision. I said to mum and dad, mum and dad, I'll come home with you this afternoon if that's all right. They looked at me a little bit kind of confused, like why does our 19-year-old son want to spend the afternoon at home? But I got in that car, I pulled out of that car park and as I drove away from that service that day, my friends in cars going the other way, God spoke in my heart at the age of 19. He said, you'll never have a Sunday afternoon in your life. You'll never have that. John, your life is not going to be the same as everybody else's life. I'm calling you to be the one that will stand apart from the many. What freaks me out about the passage of Scripture that we're reading from tonight is that it's Jesus talking. The words are in red. What freaks me out is that Jesus, John chapter 1 tells us, was in the beginning. He has always been. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, Jesus is not absent. He turns up over and over and over again. He turned up to Abraham, had a conversation with Sarah. He turned up to Joshua at the entrance of Jericho. He turns up with Daniel in the middle of the fire. He turns up all the time. And the Jesus who has been present throughout all of creation makes commentary about events that have happened that He's already seen. And looking back towards those events, he says, I tell you the truth. I'm not lying, not playing. There were many, many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elisha was not sent to any of them. Instead, he was sent to one widow in the land of Zarephath in Sidon. Then He goes, Elisha, who followed Elijah. Man, there were many, many lepers, yet only one got healed. Jesus is basically saying through two different stories, there were many and there was one. There were many and there was one. And you know what, church? I believe that all of life really comes back to the many and the one. Every person in this room is called by God to be a one, an individual. God's got a unique call, a unique plan over our lives. And what Jesus is saying is He's saying, man, the grace was present. Miracles could have happened. It didn't need to be just the singular person. But life tends to come back to the story of the many and the one." I reckon the whole Bible is the story of the many and the one. Jonah preached from it last Sunday morning. The many that were disobedient and the one who was obedient. Lot, the depravity of many and the righteousness of the one. Abraham, the normality of the many. Living a normal life and the faith of the one. How's David with Goliath? The many in Israel's armies that were, t- were intimidated by His threats. And the one young man, maybe there's that one young man, that one young woman even in this room tonight that isn't gonna be intimidated by what other people are, isn't gonna walk around this school or university the same way everybody else is, but it's gonna make a difference. My life is not the same as yours. My God is greater than yours. And David is the story of the one who descended down into the valley, slew the giant, won a great victory for his nation. The many and the one. How about David when he was anointed king over Israel? He turns up, Prophet Samuel, turns up at Jesse's house. Not the one from the Dukes of Hazard. I imagine they had similar beards. But he turns up at Jesse's house. And when he gets there, he goes, hey, Jesse, I need to see your boys. So a bunch of boys are put out in front of Samuel. The first one, his name is Eliab. He's tall, broad shoulders, muscular, strong. He's brought out in front of him. And when when Samuel sees him, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. And God says, no, 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 this man is not chosen. God doesn't look the same way everybody else does. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The next brother, no, nah, didn't choose this one. The next brother, no, nah, didn't choose this one. All the brothers are paraded in front of the prophet and none of them are chosen by God. It gets awkward. Samuel's like, oh, no, Jesse, you sure this is all the boys? Then one boy, oh, I feel you well, Forgot to tell you about the youngest one. <coughs> Um, the reason why he's embarrassed, not forthcoming, David has a different mother to all the others. Jesse has himself a little bit of, you know, something on the side. Along comes little David. The prophet, you know, shouldn't see the love child. Yet David is brought before all of these other strapping, tall, amazing young men. And the Bible talks about David, I don't know, maybe because of his mother, but it says he was just kind of ruddy. This kind of looked a little bit ordinary. The ruddy can meet red. I, I choose to believe David was the first ginger in the Bible because everybody knows that ginger-headed people are going to dominate the world. It's just a little theory. I'm running with it. David's brought before the prophet and the prophet says, this is the one. Many brothers, but not chosen. God wasn't looking for something on the outside. He wasn't looking for somebody with all the labels, with all the credentials, with all the muscles. He couldn't make his pectorals ripple. But David had something different on the inside of his life. Something different inside of his heart. And the Bible says that the prophet said, this is the one. And man, if there's something I believe God wants for us in this room, it's to realize God never called you to be part of the many. If God is speaking to your life, God doesn't want you to blend into the crowd. God's not looking for more people that are going to kind of give a different version of ordinary to the world. God's looking for people that are going to be willing to follow Him, to live different, and to be not people of the many, but to be the people who are the one. God's looking for the one. Second Chronicles 16.9 tell us that God is actually looking for one. He's looking for one. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, searching for those who are fully committed to Him. 2 Chronicles 16.9, God's looking for the one. In fact, in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible tells us that God searched for a man, one man to stand in the gap, one man, one woman from the many. The world was full of millions, if not billions of people. And the Bible records that God searched for one that would stand in the gap on behalf of His nation. The implication being that if God can find just one, that if God can just find an individual, if God can just find one person who isn't going to blend in, one person who isn't going to go along with the crowd, one person who isn't going to live the same way that everybody else has lived, one person who can follow God with all of their heart, that that one person could change the world. Yet the scariest thing about Ezekiel twenty-two thirty is that the Bible says, I searched for one. And I couldn't find any. See, I want to put it to you tonight that the whole Bible, the whole history of the world is about the search of God. God is looking for the one. Jesus is saying, man, you know what? There were many needy widows. There were many and many could have been provided for. Yet only one. There were many people with leprosy, many people, but only one. Jesus is saying, man, I don't want you to just blend in with the same tendency of everybody else to live normal. Would you find my will? That's what Jesus is saying. Would you go beyond the voices of people? Would you move and not be so concerned with what everybody else thinks about? Would you be the one? That would go after God. I'll never forget when I, was, when I was young, maybe 19, 20 years old, I heard Winky Prattney he share the story, uh, share a story. He lives in Texas and in New Zealand. He's in New Zealand, but one of the most traveled people alive today. And Winky was sharing a story about a time uh, just recently, back then, obviously, this is you know 20 years ago, sort of. Uh, I'm moving on in ages, but I'm trying to keep young as long as I can. He's telling the story about a, a video put out by Cindy Lauper. Is there anybody old enough to remember Cindy Lauper? Thank you for the five geriatrics along with me in the room tonight. Young people just go along with me. You'll, you'll get it. Cindy Lauper puts out a, sto- a, a music video, and in the music video, she had her hair all bundled up on top of her head, kind of like Marge Simpson. Now I've got all the teenagers, right? You're all with me now and she had like a short skirt on and these high platform shoes. And in America, uh, most high schools, you don't wear a uniform to school. And so he comes to his gate one morning of his house in Texas, and he sees this girl walking past. Yesterday, yesterday, everybody had their hair down. But this day, this girl walks past and she's got her hair bundled up on top of her head, a short skirt and high stiletto heels. And he's like, wow, that's a bit unusual. And then along comes another girl and she's got her hair bundled up on top of her head. He's not watching. Winky isn't watching. Cindy Lauper videos, and he's thinking, what's going on? Another girl comes past, and she's got her hair bundled up on top of her hair, short skirt, and these big high heels. And then a group of three girls come past, and they're all dressed exactly the same. It's like, girls, stop for a sec. He's a youth worker, remember? He's not a weirdo. He's like, you're trying to figure this out one of the world's leading experts in youth culture, and he's looking at these girls, he said, tell me, tell me, why are you dressed like that? And the girls answer, and they say, oh, we just want to be different. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? That story is 20 years old, but how many people do you know that are riding like a low rider bicycle? You know, we got our jeans curled just right. I mean, I'm a victim of it myself tonight, you know? Got to show a little bit of socks. Better be some happy socks. Get some action going on. You don't want to get that tough button. Do it up. You know what I'm saying? The teacher's got to be a little bit longer. Show a bit of scoop. And the reason why? Oh, we don't want to be like everybody else. We just want to be. Wake up, buddy. Everybody's the same as you. And the problem is that so much of what people in our generation even cry out is, we just want to be different. It's actually just another cry for people wanting to be part of the many. It's just so easy to live your life not as an individual, but as part of the collective, not with your own convictions, your own beliefs, your own standards, your own morality, your own inner beliefs that you will never waver from. That's challenging. Far easier than being the one. It's just to be part of the many. True? And the Bible's saying, hey, if you want to change your generation, if you want to do something great for God with your life, then don't be part of the many. Be willing to be the one. God's looking for the one. Oh, man. Imagine if the thousand odd people in this room tonight decided that you were going to be the one. The truth is, when I say the one, it's not like there's only one one. But there's only one that you can be. You're the only one that can do what God's called you to do. And Jesus is saying, there were many, but they lived like the many. Don't be the many. Be the one. I mean, Jesus, you know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, the Bible says that the the crowds, they, they took off their cloaks. They threw them on the ground. Hello that will be a pretty big day when someone's taking off their jacket, throwing it on the ground, and saying, "Right on my G Star, Jesus." But that's exactly what happened. They grabbed palm branches and they threw them on the road. They shouted, the crowds. They shouted and they said, "Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David." This Jesus on this donkey, oh my gosh, he's the son of David. He's amazing. The Bible records though that only a couple of days later they arrested Jesus, put him on display, and Pilate said, Do you want me to release? Do you want me to release Barabbas? Or do you want me to release Jesus? And they said, Oh, release Barabbas. And he's like, What do you want me to do with Jesus? And the crowd yelled, Crucify him! Crucify him! The one day the crowd yells, Hosanna. The next day the crowd yells, Crucify. The many will never get a conviction. The many will never live the way God wants them to live. If there is a pandemic that is swallowing the generation of young New Zealanders, it's that we go along with the many. What will change the world is the one. The one with the strength to say, I won't go along with your way. The one who will say, yes, I actually do have a different set of beliefs. The one that will say, it's not always easy, but it's right. The one that will decide, I have got a different standard. I do believe something different. I'm not going along with your same set of rules. I'm going to pursue a different course, and I want my life to count. Come on, if you believe that, give Him some praise. Give God some praise in this place tonight. I'm here to tell you tonight, God, He's looking across this auditorium, and the eyes of the Lord are looking for the one. He's looking for an individual that's going to rise. God doesn't need many, you know. He only needs one. D.L. Moody put it like this. He said, the world is yet to see what God can do with one man fully consecrated to Him. It only takes one. You know, when God called me, He used a passage of Scripture from the book of Jeremiah. We might have it on your screens tonight. But in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 19, it says, From them will come songs of thanksgiving. I hope we've heard some tonight. And the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers. They will not be decreased. Decreased. I will give them honor. They will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. And here's what the Lord used to call me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? God's saying, I'm just looking for one. I'm looking for the one that would draw close to me. And man, it's not just about ministry. It's about whatever call God's taken you into, whatever area of life you're going to go. God is looking for the one that is not going to live like the many. See, the thing is about being the one is that the one fundamentally is a decision to be genuinely different from the many. That passage in Jeremiah is basically saying, you know what, everybody else is gonna live their life normally, but this one is going to be the one who's gonna devote himself to being close to me. He's not gonna consume his entertainment hours with the same things as everybody else. He's gonna have a different set of priorities to other people, he's gonna go in a different direction, he's gonna defy some norms. You know, I I got onto the stage tonight. I hope they don't mind me telling the story, but I was talking to Matt and Nat Tan, their sister and brother. And I was talking to Nat and I said, Nat, it's really awkward to say this to a girl, but when it comes to worship leading, you're absolutely a heavyweight. And I said to Matt, and I said, the same Spirit's in you. And then I said, you know what? You were raised on the mission field, but there's something God's put in your life. And they, and they turned to me and they said, I guess there aren't too many parents who, put their, who, who allow their children, they volunteered, but allow their children to go on a seven-day liquid fast at the age of 10. I'm like, no, nope, probably not too many. But you know what? You can't deny it. There's a touch of God on their lives. Matt wrote a, uh, Nat, Nat, Matt, Matt, is confusing, but the male one, <laughs> wrote the song Awaken My Soul, wrote the blood of Jesus, amazing songwriter, yeah. Natalie, I think, this nation's finest worship leader, just an absolute hero, yeah. took us somewhere special tonight. But you know, the reality is that, you know, whatever you could say about that, they weren't Living the same way that everybody else was living. Man, if there's one thing I think God wants us to do, it's to reassess what we should be doing with our lives. God doesn't want you living as part of the many. God is looking for the one. Man, let me talk to you about it, to the one. If you want to know what the one has, the first thing the one has from our reading tonight is the faith. To believe. Oh man, when the prophet runs out of food, Elijah, he runs out of food and the Bible says, I'm gonna send you to a widow in Zarephath, a widow, and she's gonna provide for you. Elijah's like, all right. And he goes and he sees this widow, arrives in Zarephath, sees this widow and she's collecting sticks. Elijah rocks up to her and goes, hey, what you doing? She says, I'm collecting sticks. Why? Why? I'm going to go home, use these sticks to light a fire. I've got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. I'm going to add in some water, make a loaf of bread, and then my son and I are going to eat it, and then that's all we got. So after we eat it, we're going to die. Okay, heavy. Elijah the prophet is like, "Cool, that's good, do that. But before you make a loaf of bread for you, I want you to make a loaf of bread for me. Bring me a loaf of bread, then make your loaf of bread. And this is what the Lord says to you. If you will do this, then your jar of oil and your jar of flour will never run out until the Lord restores prosperity back to this land. And the Bible says about this widow that she was, had the faith to just do it. She was willing to believe what God said and to act in line with it. She risked the first portion of the flour and oil and as a result, she brought miraculous provision into her lives. Man, we could talk about provision, but in all areas of destiny, the difference between the many and the one is that the one is willing to believe what God says to them. They're willing to do what God asks them to do. They hear God's Word and they say, you know what, I'm going to live it out. If you want to radically change the world, let me tell you how you can do it. Read this book and then do it. The one, the one in this room willing to do that, I'm telling you, your faith to believe will ensure your place in the history books. I'm not saying that the one are all destined to have their name in lights, but I am here to tell you that they will all be recorded in heaven. The widow was never known by people in her community, but her story echoes throughout eternity. And when you get to eternity, many people will have untold stories told of the one who decided that they were going to be the one and not part of the many. Come on, God's looking for the one. The second thing, the second thing, I've only got threes. So it's going to be all right. The second thing is that the one is the one with the will to obey. Wow. Obey. See, Naaman, Naaman was a dignitary in a pagan country, not an Israelite. Yet the Bible tells us that Naaman develops leprosy. He's got all the prosperity in the world, but he have got a problem that he cannot solve. And that's really what our generation is like. A lot of people in our community today got a lot that's going for them. We are the most prosperous generation in the history of the world. One of New Zealand's fastest growing killers is obesity, having too much food. And along comes Naaman and he's got all the prosperity in the world, yet a fundamental problem that he cannot solve, leprosy. And the Bible tells us that he comes to the prophet Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He sends his servant. Yep, what do you want? Naaman's used to like kings ushering him in to throne rooms. And a grumpy old prophet sits in a back room and says, what do you want? He says, well, I got, I got leprosy. I got lots of money. You know, can you help me out here? And the prophet says, well, I don't want anything from you, but if you'll do this, you'll be healed. Go down to the Jordan River and would you wash in it and if you're washed in the Jordan River, then you are going to be healed. Naaman is like, what? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? But there's something so amazing about Naaman. The Bible tells us that he goes away and he thinks in his servant system, you know what? If the prophet had told you to give him a million dollars, you would have done it. If the prophet had told you to give him a house in the Bahamas, you would have done it. And all he's telling you to do is to wash in what Naaman views as a dirty river, and the, the servant's like, why don't you give it a shot? And Naaman says, I will do it. I will obey. And he went down to the Jordan. See, there's a reason why Naaman had to be baptized in the Jordan. He didn't understand it. He wasn't an Israelite, but an Israelite would have known. And man, there's always a reason behind what God asks us to do. The Jordan is the place where the Israelites crossed over from the wilderness into their promises. The Jordan is the river in which Jesus was baptized. The Jordan is when Jesus began His ministry. The Jordan speaks of death to the old life and new life that comes through Christ. The the, the sickness left Him in the Jordan and life came to Him out of the Jordan. There was only one river that could bring His healing. And I want you to know that if you're going to be the one, there's going to be moments when you're going to have to obey God. And do what other people wouldn't do. I preached this message last Sunday night in Christchurch and a guy came up to me the next day and he said, I heard your message. He said, I didn't like it. I said, why didn't you like it? He said, because what about the many? What about the many? Oh man, I had to fight my want to just headbutt him. (laughs) This message is never saying that there's only one and everybody else can just... Resign themselves to a suckful life. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid can you be and still breathe? This message, this message is saying that it's not it's not the fact that it was an individual. Jesus is saying it could have been a whole lot yeah. that there is a will of God, and it isn't always a comfortable laissez faire experience. The Bible does say broad is the way and many travel towards the path of destruction. But the pathway to life is narrow and only a few ever find it. See, what I'm telling you tonight is that you can be the one. Only one person can do what God's called you to do and that's you. But you need, we need the faith to believe, and we need the will to obey. And the last one we need is the band join me is the courage to stand out. If we're gonna be the one, let's break down the fundamentals. You have to have the courage to stand out. There's only one way you get to be the one, and that's to accept that you can't look always exactly the same as everybody else. I'm getting passionate, I'm sorry. You know you know there's a reason why Daniel was second in charge of Babylon. Babylon, described by God as the most successful and powerful world empire the world has ever seen, and the second in charge of it was a Christian Hebrew boy called Daniel. Because when Daniel was ushered into the king's palace as a young 14-year-old boy, and the king who has all the royal food, presents to these young boys, not just from Israel, but from every other nation that he has conquered and says, here, this is your dinner for the next period of time. David sees the food and says, no. He said, I won't eat it because there's a whole lot of food in here that would make me unclean. Listen, there's a lot of things in life you could do. It's not about what you could do. It's about what you should do. And the Bible says that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And instead he said, I just want it 14 years old. Okay, all right. Got some 14-year-old young men in the room, right? Daniel was handsome, young, well-informed, quick to understand, showed aptitude for every kind of learning. You get the picture. David's like the star of his school, a standout, already in the draft for the first 15. And here he is saying, Keep your steak. I just want vegetables and water. That's all I'm going to eat. Man, the guy in charge is like, No, 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 David, David, Daniel, sorry, Daniel, Daniel, no, no, no. If I do that, you are going to go downhill and the king is going to end my life. Daniel says, Let's make a deal. Let's do it for 10 days and let's see what happens. The Bible says after 10 days that the man comes back and he sees Daniel and he's like, wow, you look physically better than anybody else. And when the time of his testing, three years, had come to an end and they examined Daniel, they found Daniel to be smarter and wiser, not just by a little increment. He didn't just score, you know, 1.1 a point percentile higher than the others. They said about Daniel that he's got the IQ and the, the, the score and accomplishment 10 times better than anybody else that's going through this period. And the reason why was not because Daniel said, all right, it's in front of me, I better eat it. Everybody else is joking about it, I better joke about it. Everybody else is going to the function, I better go. Daniel said, no, no, no. I am gonna be the one who's got a different standard. I'm gonna be the one who looks a little bit different. I'm not eating what you're eating. I'm not smoking what you're smoking. I'm not chewing what you're chewing. And I'm not doing what you're doing. I'm living as the one. Come on, if you believe God might call you to be the one. Can you give Him some praise in this room tonight? is looking for the One. Stand all over this room tonight. If God could find the One. If God could find the One. If God could find in this room tonight some young man, some young woman who would say, I am going to pursue a different course. I'm going to look a little bit unusual to some people. I'm going to stand out. And God could use you. He could do something great through your life. Whether He calls you in the education, media, politics, government, workplace, I don't know. Maybe God calls you to family life. Maybe God calls you to the mission field. Maybe God calls you to the ministry. It's not about a special few for a special purpose. It's about a whole lot of individuals that God has got a plan for that are in this room tonight. And together we can change the world. Come on, if you believe it, give God some praise in this room tonight. God's looking for the one. He's looking for the one. The one. And I believe tonight that maybe God's looking at you. You know, the race is not always the swift. The battle's not always the strong. The guy that ends up being used, the girl that ends up being Significant is not always the one that everybody picked. Elia, handsome, buff, picks. No, he's, not, he's not the one. That's surprising. What about the next one? Same physical features. No. No. Here's a Scripture that you got to know. It says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The one that everybody overlooked and thought they could never amount to anything becomes the corner of what God is going to do. I'm gonna show that person off to the world as an example of somebody who had a heart after me. Come on, if you believe you might be the one, could you give God some praise in this room tonight? If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.